Um, good morning. You know, there's been a lot going on recently. Um, a lot of things that I could complain about and a lot of other things that are going on too. But what I am coming to the conclusion of throughout this period of feeling this immense, immensely overwhelming stuff is I came to the conclusion that I can't complain or I could just give myself the grace to grow. <laughs> so welcome to the Grace to Grow podcast. That's what we're talking about today. Giving ourselves the grace to grow. Um, today I today marks my 13th day on my self to death to self journey. My self to death journey. <laughs> what? My death to self journey. I began this journey uh, actually the day after we had our last Bible study with the Navigators Women. I had my last Bible study and I felt this impression on my heart to do a death to self journey. And I was reminded of Karen's death to self journey um, that she kind of traced on YouTube. And I was reminded of that journey and I was like, you know what? I would like to take a similar journey. I know it's gonna look different, but I would like to commit myself to that purpose, to that intention. Uh, days one through three, Nah, probably days one through six went relatively smoothly. They went relatively well. I, I remember recording a lot of things. I remember recording a lot of my thoughts and my prayers and my celebrations and my praise reports. I remember just spending a lot of time writing, whereas now I'm getting to the point of no longer being motivated, but still needing to be disciplined in, in doing this. And so it's been a couple of days where I've just simply, I've written, but I've simply not written to the extent that I would have liked to write. But what I had to remind myself was to give myself the grace to grow because I have not, it's not to make excuses for it, but it is to say these are contributing factors to why I have not been committed to it as I wanted to be committed to it. But also I have to remember that it takes time. It's a journey. It's just like when you're working out. Self-discipline is a muscle that needs to be worked out and you need to continue practicing using it in order to get better at using it and so I think that for me sometimes I just expect that I'm just going to be self-disciplined in every single moment and then I have to remind myself that self-discipline I haven't stretched that muscle in a while I haven't used that muscle in a while and so when it cramps up and when I'm not able to use that like I used to then I get upset with myself, but I have to remember that, like, I have not used this in a while. Like, it has been a while since I've actually tapped into the self-discipline muscle. And so it's not going to happen overnight. Just like how working out doesn't happen overnight. You work out and you could work out for a year and still not be at the level that you want to be at yet. And so I was reminded of that when I was recording on today's 13th day, as I was recording kind of my notes on what I was noticing, and I remember watching this video, um, which I'll try to link in the description, but it was a video talking about the fact that we don't need motivation, we need discipline. He was like, people don't do things because they're motivated to do it. They do it because they're disciplined. And I was thinking about that today, and I was like, that's so true. Because when you think about it, at the beginning of this journey, I was very motivated, highly motivated by the fact that I was going to pursue this. But now I'm at the point where I'm no longer motivated, where I'm no longer like, oh, yes, I want to get up in the morning and do this. But I still need to have discipline. I still need to get up and do it. And he was uh, in the video was talking about the fact that people who are disciplined 
don't do it because they feel like it, but they do it because they know it needs to be done. And I was like, that's so true. And I recognize that it's not that I lack self-discipline. I just lack self-discipline in certain areas. Like, for example, I don't lack self-discipline in time management. I manage my time because I know it needs to be done and I manage it well. Or for academics, I know that my academic work needs to be done and therefore I put in the work to do it. I'm very self-disciplined in time management and in academics. But when it comes to anything else, no, not so much. And so that's where the uh, tricky part begins. I also said in the video that um, most of the time it takes people about five years to actually get to the level, like to the fitness that they want to get to. Like if you commit to it for five years, you get to that fitness level that you want to. So he was saying how a lot of the people who are on these fitness channels and these fitness gurus and stuff like that didn't just happen for them in a year or overnight. It happened for them after five years of consistently and diligently working and being disciplined. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so applicable to this. And then it reminded me of um, the plant that I have growing here and how Becca first gave me this plant probably like three or four years ago and the tiny little plant that it was is now the biggest plant on our patio the tallest plant on our patio and it's so interesting to see that after three and four years how it's grown so much you know and it's interesting to note that like we didn't really do much for it it just kind of like happened you know and I mean we watered it of course put it in the right spot but other than that, I mean, God was the one that really grew it and, and made it grow into what it is now. And now it's one of my pride and joys on this patio. And it's a testimony to what happens when you give things time to grow. And so what I wrote down was that I need to remember it takes time to be where you need to be. It takes discipline to be where you need to be. And it takes sustainability because nothing can thrive and nothing can grow if it's not sustained. And so those were the three conclusions that I came to on this uh, 13th day. So we're nearly halfway through. I mean, I would say probably at the 15th day mark is when we're gonna be officially halfway through, but we're, we're almost there. And even us being almost there, I'm realizing so this journey is not going to, because I, I was anticipating it being under the precipice of it being a month, like for it being December, you know what I mean? But then I was thinking about it and I was like, well, if I'm saying that self-discipline and all of that stuff like that can't just be grown overnight, it can't just be happening overnight, you're not going to be fit overnight in that area, then it's going to have to take a little bit longer. So that means that it's going to be longer than just this month. So the journey's not going to end after just this month, but that's when I'm going to kind of cap it off and do a, a recap of what happened this month and then kind of anticipate or not anticipate, but set expectations or hopes for what could happen in next. But the main thing that I wanted to talk about was Ezra. So that's where I've been reading and I'm going to share just in a bit about the book of Ezra. It's a really cool book. Um, it's about the basically the whole main like focus of this book is on the Israelites coming out of captivity um, 
Babylonia, and they were now entering into um, Jerusalem once again, and now they have the opportunity to rebuild the temple. Now, they were given by the king, King Cyrus, they were given all of these materials to rebuild, all of these grants and funds to rebuild. And they began the rebuilding process. However, they stopped. And I was like, why did they stop? Like, you have all that you need and you stop. And I thought about it in my own personal life. I have all that I need. And yet, for some reason, I stopped. I still get stuck. I still don't continue. And I realized that it was a lack of discipline because they had the motivation to begin with. And I think the motivation was what they were running off of. You know, when you first get out of captivity, you're like, yes, let's do everything that needs to be done. Let's focus on God. Let's, you know what I mean? Once you get out of that bondage, once you get freed from something, you're like, yes, let's commit to God. Let's do it. You know what I mean? But then after a while, you're like, okay, I don't really feel like doing this no more. <laughs> I don't really feel like motivated to do nothing no more. And I think that that's what they that's what happened and so basically you have in chapter one where god just stirred up the the hearts of people even people who were not israelites he stirred up their hearts to help this temple be built because god's mo god's goal was to get the temple built and he was like okay i don't care who i have to use to get my purpose done so god used everybody he used anybody he used people who were uh, oh, just around them. He used King Cyrus, who wasn't even an Israelite, didn't even might not have even believed in God, but he used King Cyrus to give them all the funds that they needed. And so then, when they returned from in chapter two, when they returned from captivity, Cyrus had given this proclamation. Cyrus was the king of Persia, so he had given this proclamation that like you guys can rebuild your temple and no one can stop you, and we're gonna give you all these funds and all these resources to help you and you can get all the old stuff that that nebuchadnezzar took from y'all's temple you can get all because nebuchadnezzar was the uh, king before then and so he had taken all their stuff from the temple and now they were getting all of that restored and so he was like basically king cyrus is basically like everything that you had stolen and everything that you need it's going to be given to you right now everything's going to be restored here you just carry out what god wants you to do and it was interesting to see that that's what King Cyrus was saying, considering the fact that he didn't actually even believe in God, like, or may not have actually believed in God, but he recognized the sovereignty of Israel's God. And so therefore he was like, okay, you know what I mean? And it even mentions in my Bible, in some of the footnotes, that King Cyrus's ambition behind this might not have even been necessarily to recognize that God is the real God, but more so to prevent him and his family from having the wrath of God on them, which I think is still inadvertently and indirectly believing in God in some way, because you believe that there is a God whose wrath can be given against your family. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't show that he re really respects God or honors God, but it does show that he believes somewhat that there is a God and that that God's wrath could be on him and he doesn't want that. So he's doing everything in his power to not do that. But also it was the stirring of his heart from God. I believe that God stirred his heart in order to do all of these things to that extent. And so then it goes in in chapter two and describes all of the people who had been released out of captivity it's kind of talking about just like the different people and their sons and the family trees, et cetera, et cetera. And then on chapter three, we get to them restoring the altar, which is basically them 
restoring uh, what was lost to them. And so now they're doing all this stuff, doing all this work according to the grant that, that Cyrus had given them. By the way, Cyrus is a cool name and I like the way that it's spelled. It's spelled C-Y-R-U-S. I never really like that. I think it's a, I think it's cool. But now they're moving from construct, com, from captivity to construction. So they're rebuilding the temple starting in verse eight of chapter three. They're rebuilding the temple and all of these people, this is my favorite part. My favorite part is in verse uh, 11 12 and 13 when basically the foundation of the the temple was built and then you have some people out here cheering like the younger people are cheering they're like yes this is great this is wonderful like it's amazing god's temple is going to be great and then you got the old people crying because the old people are in this feeling of remorse and regret because they're like this is not even close to the the temple that was built before this is not even close to that it doesn't even doesn't even look as good as the temple that we had before and so they're crying because they knew what the temple looked like before and they really are i think in a moment of regret in a moment of like man our sin caused us to lose one of the greatest temples that we had to worship god one of the most beautiful expressions of worship to god was solomon's temple and now Solomon's temple had been destroyed and they had been in captivity and now they're coming back and they're trying to redo it. And Solomon ain't done because <laughs> Solomon long gone. He done passed away. And so he, he ain't there to build the temple no more. So then you, even though you have all of this like, like greatness coming together to build God's temple again, it's not at the same splendor as it once was. And so you have all those people crying. And my favorite part is when it says in verse 13 that every it was so loud that people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout the people cheering from the sound of people's weeping for the people shouted with great shout and the sound was heard far away and that's just like so insane to me that like they was crying they was screaming people was cheering like we don't know what's going on we don't know what's going on but all we know is there was clearly a divide in the emotions between people some people crying some people uh, cheering and it's just it's interesting then you have and this was only when they saw the foundation so it wasn't that the whole temple was built it was just the foundations that were laid and then when they saw the foundations that were laid that's when they cheered or cried accordingly and so then after that in chapter four you have people who are coming now to the adversaries to the rebuilding so they're coming in and they're trying to at first they tried to use a tactic of like hey like we worship the same god as you like let us come help you like let us come uh, uh help you out let us come help you build and the israelites were like we good i mean not them trying to pick me up like that's, that's what the israelites were saying they was like not them trying to come help us build like no we're okay because they recognize the intent behind it and they recognize that like these people aren't really for the same god that we're for and so they ended up denying that but then they have also had uh they also had people just coming in and trying to discourage them from building and trying to it, the bible even mentions frustrating their purpose trying to come in and frustrate their purpose and i feel like that happens so frequently whenever you're trying to do the work of God, genuinely trying to do the work of God, is that the enemy comes in and tries to frustrate your purpose. And I've been feeling that a lot as I've been committed to more focusing on self-discipline recently and self-control. I've been recognizing that like 
the enemy is really out here trying to frustrate your purpose and he will try to get you confused and try to get you out of this season try to get you focused on something else try to get you just in all of these different places and these different mindsets and you're just like whoa you know what i mean whoa like it's just interesting to me that that was mentioned that the enemy was trying to frustrate their purpose their enemies their adversaries were trying to frustrate their purpose and trying to stop them from building the temple once again because when you build the temple once again that was their only way of communicating with god at the time so their only way to communicate with god was to have a temple a sacred place for them to go into and to communicate with him and so that was literally the enemy trying to stop them from communicating with God. And I think so frequently that happens in my life too with distractions and all of these different things that try to frustrate my purpose so that I end up not spending time with God. I end up not going to him and not not spending the time with him that I need to spend with him. You know what I mean? That I desperately need to spend with him. So then after that, these people coming out, they making accusations against Israel. They are here trying to do all this different stuff like that and then they send this letter to the king king artaxerxes and basically the king they they phrase it in such a way that it really makes it seem like the israelites are really doing something bad i mean they over here talk about some they are rebellion rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city i wrote in my bible bro who are you like <laughs> If these people out here, I mean, it's not just random people. Of course, these are, uh, like, probably genuine people. But um, just all these people right into the king of Persia, Artaxerxes, and they out here talk about some their rebellious and wicked city. It is not fitting for us to witness the king's dishonor. Like, you basically telling King Artaxerxes, if you let them continue building, they're going to dishonor you. They're going to be rebellious, and they ain't going to pay their taxes. And you better do something about that right now before that happens. Because at the time, uh, Jerusalem was still under the jurisdiction of Persia. Like, because basically Persia had taken over all of that area, I think. And so Jerusalem was a part of that. And so Jerusalem was no longer an entity of itself. It was no longer an independent nation. It was now under the jurisdiction of Persia. Because, remember, they had gotten exiled and all this stuff like that. So basically, he was saying, like, if you let this happen, they're going to want to become an independent nation again they're not going to want to pay your taxes they're not going to want to be under your jurisdiction or under your kingship so you need to stop their work so they don't do that if they rebuild this temple and so then the king ends up ordering for them to uh to stop and so they order for that the king orders for that work to cease and man it says in the bible uh then when the copy of king artaxerxes letter was read before rehum and shimshay the scribe and their associates they went in haste to the jews they are giving Karen energy. They are giving Karen energy because literally they're out here framing the Israelites, saying this is all this bad stuff that the Israelites are going to do. And then when the king writes a letter that gives them permission to halt the work of the Israelites, they run in haste to go do it. They literally run it to Jerusalem. <laughs> they run it to Kamari if you get that reference man but they literally run it to Jerusalem to go stop the work of the Israelites crazy so then it says then the work of the Lord this is in verse 24 of chapter 4 it says then the work on the house of God that was in Jerusalem stopped and it ceased until the second year 
of the reign of king of Darius in King Persia. Uh, of Darius, king of Persia. So it didn't continue. They didn't continue the work of the Lord until Darius came. So that's just interesting to me because this whole time, this whole period of Artaxerxes' reign, and these rulers be reigning for a little bit. It's not like it's like just quick, 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 quick. Like it's a little bit of time that the king has told them to cease their work and they, for that extended period of time, did nothing on the on the kingdom i mean on the uh building of the temple so then in chapter five the rebuilding process begins again and so now they have different prophets supporting them and they basically <clears throat> start rebuilding um it's interesting that they start rebuilding now though because they could have at any point in time began rebuilding during artaxerxes reign but during King Darius's reign, that's when they began rebuilding again. And so they start rebuilding. And then there's a guy named Tatanai who goes and gives a letter to King Darius, who's the ruler at the time. And he basically tells them, he's like, and it, this one, this time it wasn't in a defiling way. This time it wasn't in a way to uh, destroy what they were doing, but it was more so in a way of like, hey, this is going on and we don't, it's basically like a reporting Karen. It's like a Karen who doesn't know how to mind her own business. And, <laughs> and so it's like, you know, before it was like the Karens who are like rude and going to the foolishness. But this time it's like a Karen who doesn't really know how to mind her own business. And she's trying to report what's going on in somebody else's life to the manager. And so basically Tatanaya gives this uh, letter and he's basically saying like, hey yo like we went down here to, to judah to jerusalem and look at what they got going on over here and they working diligently and we just want to know like who gave you this decree like who let you do this who let you do this who said you could do this um and i mean granted it kind of makes a little bit of sense because like you are coming back in the persians land because it's no longer your land anymore because it's you've been like they now have rule over your land. Um, and so, like, it kind of makes sense because these are, like, Persian governors who are, like, looking and they're like, okay, what's going on over there? Why are these people just building? And and ain't nobody told us that they just rebuild them again because it wasn't like the king had given another decree. It wasn't like King Darius had given another decree at that moment because they had just started rebuilding. And so they were still running off of the decree that Cyrus had given. And mind you, Cyrus had given the decree that anybody who tried to stop them, basically it was like invalid. If anybody had tried to stop them, it would be invalid. That's what the king had given that decree on. So when King Artaxerxes came up and said, y'all need to stop y'all work, they really didn't have to because the king's pre the previous king's decree still stood firmer than King Artaxerxes' decree. So really they could still have operated but they just chose not to because I think they might have forgotten that that was what the king had given them, that, that covenant that they had given them. Just like how we often forget that God has already given us a covenant and already given us a spirit of victory. And yet we let the enemy come in and try to cease our work. I let the enemy come in and try to cease my work oftentimes. So anywho, King Tatanai is getting this letter to King Darius and he's basically like, hey, yo, listen, this is what's going on. And I don't know who gave them this license to do so, but let me know if you can find anywhere up in the... Uh, 
archive archives if you could i said archives if you could find anywhere in the archives where it says that they could do this and so then they're looking they're looking they're looking they finally discover where the archive like says this where king cyrus's first um an initial decree was and so then darius gives another decree and darius is like hey yo king cyrus's decree still stands and on top of that i'm gonna add some more and so <laughs> i wrote in my bible because it took them literally like i think it took them a couple months or a year or so it took them a period a period of time to find these archives and it wasn't even in the place where the king resided it was like in a completely different place where like it was like his summer home or something that the king had put the, i don't know it was just like a like not the most accessible quickly place and i was like they ain't got no control f like they can't just control f searching <laughs> for the king's decree um but no so then king darius not only reaffirms and confirms what king cyrus had said but then on top of that he adds to it and so he says and whatever is needed and whatever is required let that be given to them day by day without fail so basically he's making sure that they are daily provided for what they need to rebuild this temple and it's just interesting that first of all i love the name darius it just reminds me of darius from atlanta and you know i love darius from atlanta but then on top of that seeing king darius here and he's kind of mimicking the same thing that king cyrus has done it's just very interesting to see the way that god has stirred up their hearts to move in favor toward the israelites so then the temple is finished and dedicated in chapter 6 verse 13 so they finally finish the temple they dedicate it to god after all this time and then the passover is celebrated so that's when they basically purify themselves they come together they're celebrating in this feast and god gives them joy in this moment he gives them this period of just joy and, and favor and then Ezra is now sent to teach the people. So at first I was like, okay, we're reading all this stuff, but Ezra's not even making his guest star appearance yet. And this is the book of Ezra. But basically that was all like the, the information to lead up to this moment of Ezra being sent to teach the people. And so it mentions a lot that Ezra basically had the hand of God on him and that he was a man learned in the matters of the commandments of the Lord and the statutes for Israel. So basically that means that he just knew the law of Moses really well and was going to teach the people the law of Moses and to teach the people what was the right way that God wanted them to live. And so he knew all of that and he was the one that was kind of sent to teach these people. And so basically... It mentions a lot also, hands are mentioned a lot, like the good hand of God, the hand of the Lord was on him. Um, and then it says, according to the law of your God, which is in your hands, like it, he was talking, I think it was King Darius talking to Ezra and King Darius was like, King Darius was like, or I don't know if it was King Darius, but it was somebody talking to him. No, it was King Artaxerxes who gave this letter to, to Ezra and he said to him, he said, whatever is in your hand or which is in your hand, like teach that to Jerusalem and create these counselors and basically establish a system that is based on the word of God, establish priests and counselors and people who are committed to the word of God and who are following the word of God and do it with diligence, do it with diligence. And so then they do all of that 
And then it just mentions the word hand a lot. I didn't recognize how much the word hand is mentioned in Ezra 7. It's mentioned in the sense that God's hand is on Ezra's life. So he's orchestrating, he's giving favor, he's moving, etc. But then it's also mentioning Ezra's hand and the fact that in Ezra's hand is God's word, meaning Ezra's holding on to God's word or Ezra has easily accessible in his heart the word of God. Like that is, I think, our con- like our part is to hold on to God's word, to have God's word in our hand, but then God's part is to have his hand on us. You know what I mean? Okay, anywho. Then they give, so in chapter eight, it begins with the genealogy of the people who returned with Ezra to Jerusalem. Um, And so they're returning to kind of where this temple is being built and they are going back and they're about to fill up the temple with the priests and the Levitical priesthood, all this stuff like that, trying to restore that kind of systematic way that they had previously. But they find out that all, Ezra finds out that all the people that he's going with, they actually, out of all the people he's going with, they're priests, but they're not Levitical priests. They're not Levites. And so there's a specific lineage of people coming from Aaron, remember Aaron and Moses, Aaron was like one of the first priests. And so then his whole entire family line has been the Levitical priests now. So they were looking for Levites and they could not find any Levites. So then they go to this other town and they send for Levites. And lo and behold, there goes some Levites. Bam, be with them. Then they pray and they fast. My favorite part is when uh, Ezra says, then I proclaimed a fast that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek him on to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children and all our goods. And then he also says the hand of the Lord, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored God for this and he listened to our entreaty. That's just powerful. And I think that this book mentions a lot now that I'm seeing, now that I'm reading it out loud mentions a lot in these past chapters I've been reading, chapter 7 and chapter 8, mentions hands a lot. And I wonder what significance that has. Hands, hands, hands. And then um, it just continues to talk about how the priests were set to guard the offering. So they have these offerings. They had this like crazy amount of silver. And I think it was gold. I want to say, yeah, crazy amounts of silver and gold. And these vessels that they were using, beautiful just things that they, that, that were very, um, like a lot of, only a lot of rich people had at a time. But they had it because they were, this was what was going into the temple. This was the offerings to God. So it was the silver and this gold and these vessels that were going to be offered up to the Lord. However, they had to guard this stuff because it was a crazy, extraordinary amount of, of, of money, an extraordinary amount of silver and gold, an extraordinary amount of, of riches and treasures that was going to be put in the house of God. And so these priests, as they're traveling, because remember, this is not no quick journey. <laughs> this ain't no quick journey. I think I remember it said they either took three or four months to get to where they needed to go. Like, that's a long time. Ain't no three-day journey where you could just run it. Like, no, it took time for them to get up and go all the way down to wherever they were supposed to go down to. And I think it was yeah, to go down to Jerusalem. So they take a time getting there, right? And as they're going, there's like ambushes happening. Like, and I remember my Bible mentioning that they don't know if it was actual like physical ambushes 
or if it was just that like people were trying to come and steal whatever or trying to do whatever um during that time basically i was under the impression while reading that they were the priests were to guard these um treasures because other people are trying to come and get them in as they're traveling i mean just people who might be wanderers or just kind of around you know nomadic type of living style they might have came and tried to you know steal i don't know i don't know i wasn't there i couldn't tell you but um when i travel back in time and i visit i'll let you know what uh what i saw and so then uh chapter nine and and mind you there's only 10 chapters so we're almost done um chapter nine basically deals with this issue that took place of intermarriage where these people the israelites were marrying with other non-israelites around them basically believers marrying unbelievers and that is not inherently wrong but what was wrong about it was the fact that these people were now exchanging and mixing in religion and in marriage and so for you to just come out of captivity and for you to just now be dedicating yourself to the lord and then now trying to intermingle yourself with somebody who's not dedicated to the lord and who is not practicing what you are supposed to be practicing how does that benefit you it doesn't and so at first when i was reading this i was like okay because they're mentioning that the levites had not separated themselves and what made it worse was it wasn't just the israelites like the people of Israel. it was the like the, the priest it was the people who was supposed to be a representative of christ out here intermingling like <laughs> you're supposed to be a representative you know and we're all we're all representatives but especially people who are in positions of authority you're supposed to be a representative and so it's just interesting that that was emphasized that like it was even the priest who was doing this and so they didn't separate themselves from the people around them and i was like okay and at first i was like oh all right well i don't really see like what the big deal is like i mean i get it but i also don't really see the big deal but then i realized that when you are intermarrying with people who do not share the same core values as you and who practice what is in contradiction to what your god has told you to practice then that does not create a beneficial or healthy relationship as a matter of fact it actually stunts you in your growth and it causes you to not be disciplined in what you need to do because you are intermingling with people who don't even have that same value and so these people are, are getting married to these people and even in the bible i mean even in my footnotes it mentions like that some of these situations might not have actually even been uh proper marriages it could have been them shacking up i mean it doesn't say shacking up because that's not <laughs> but it does mention that they might not have had proper marriages some people might not have had proper marriages and so you've got people shacking up you've got people getting married to these people who don't value the same things they value and so therefore they are compromising and forfeiting their values and so then you have ezra in verse six just praying and he is beginning and he's, he's kind of fasting for his people and you can tell that he's really remorseful about this and i at first i was like man he's overreacting a little bit but when you think about it y'all just got out of captivity like y'all just got out of and freed from the consequences of your sin and then now you want to go back and ezra's like bruh like <laughs> like we just did all this and y'all want to go back like and i so it mentions that he fell upon his knees and he tore his cloak and he was pulling on his hair like all this stuff like that and i was like yo you chill chill out bro chill out but he couldn't chill out because when you think about it you had just gone through all of this 
and now y'all have finally gotten to a place of peace and to a place of favor and then we all want to act up again and isn't that so like us as humans though that we are constantly doing that we are constantly like constantly having i mean even mentions here in the bible for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads we are constantly having our sin rise higher than our heads and then when we finally get a moment of peace when we finally get a moment of of joy when we finally get a moment of that we we have to mess it up because we are constantly sinning we cannot we cannot not sin um and we're constantly compromising in order to give a place for our sin to live and so then it mentions kind of just going through then it mentions that they are to basically separate themselves once again and so the people confess their sin and now they are standing here with Ezra and they're like, all right, you know what? Let's separate ourselves from the people of this land and let's just do what God told us to do from the beginning. And so then they have this kind of congregational meeting where everybody meets up and they're like, hey, yo, if you are an Israelite and you got property and you don't show up to this meeting, you're losing your property. And I thought that was funny because it's just like, what? Like, you know what I mean? But it makes sense because like, how you gonna be an Israelite, a representative of Christ, and not show up to this meeting, and not do and not tackle this issue that's been going on? Because it's not like it was just like a oh, a couple of people are doing this. Let's just no, like it was like a an epidemic. It was happening, and everyone needed to be involved because everyone was affected by it, and everyone had some type of connection to or relation with this issue. So then they have all the officials who are so all the people are coming together they have the officials to like go in and to look at every uh group of people and see who all was guilty of intermarriage and then they just start listing them out <laughs> and it's, there's literally from verses in chapter 10 from verses 18 to 44 they list in detail the people who were guilty of intermarriage i said nothing putting them on blast but they did. They literally put these people on blast and it was quite humorous. And so basically that's the whole thing of Ezra. It was a very interesting book to read. I think some of the main things that I got out of it was basically that God wants to restore his people and he wants to restore his connection with people. He wants to restore his connection with you. He wants to restore his connection with me. He wants to restore his connection with everyone. But it takes us committing to that restoration because while God wanted to restore his connection with his people, he did not sit there and build the temple for his people and say, okay, cool, now you guys can come in here and talk with me. He wanted them to have the discipline and the effort and the diligence to build that, to that commitment to build so that they could be with him. And I think that that's what he wants from us too. He is ready and available for us to communicate with him and to connect with him, but he wants us to build that relationship with him. And honestly, I think that that's something I struggle with is building that relationship because I am not as disciplined as I would like to be. But in the conclusion of this podcast, I would like to pray and say, dear God, thank you for a wonderful book of Ezra. And thank you for it just being something that is uh, incredibly engaging read. And that is something that even though it was short, it was really, really good. And I thank you that I was able to read this book, that you helped me to commit to reading it all the way through. I just pray, God, that as you are rising up your people to restore our relationships with you and to restore our connections with you, God, 
that you help us and help me to just be able to to do so with diligence, to do so with dedication, to do so with discipline. God, it's not going to be easy to always restore our relationship with you and to rebuild. We're going to get tired and we're not going to want to do it and we're not going to be motivated to do stuff. But that's where we have to recognize that we're not surviving and sustaining off of motivation, but we're surviving and sustaining off of discipline that comes through you. When we are disciplined in you, Christ, we are able to fully commit to what we're doing um, regardless of how we feel. And I really want that to be something that I do, God, that I become a person who who takes you at your word and who says, let me do this, uh, let me do this, not because I feel like it or I don't feel like it, but let me do this because it needs to be done. And it needs to be done because you said it needs to be done. Not because I said it needs to be done, not because I felt like it needed to be done, but because you said it needs to be done, then I dedicate myself to doing it in your name. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, in practical applications of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed. And, uh, you know, I will definitely give an overview, hopefully, uh, of my death to self journey at the end of December. But like I said, this is a journey that is going to continue well into a couple years from now because and you know what let me say this I actually don't mind like I thought about it today and I was like you know what like the fitness level that I want to be at you know to be fit to be muscular again is easily gonna take me two three four years yeah easily because I remember even being in coach's class it took me two years to get to that level of fitness that I wanted to get to in his class and I, in order to create a, a life that's sustainable with that fitness, because I got there pretty quickly. Two years is pretty quick to get to the level of, of fitness that you want. But in order to sustain it, it's definitely going to take me well into three or four years. And so I was like, you know what? Like, I actually don't mind. Like, I now I say that. <laughs> now, granted, on days that I don't feel like it, am I still going to say that? Probably not. But right now, in this mindset that I'm in, I'm like, you know what? Like, I actually don't mind committing to, like, think about where I'm going to be five years from now. Like, I'm not going to be in the same place, and I'm not going to be at the same level if I were to commit today what I need to commit to, you know, which is committing to working out. And so I was, like, thinking about that in my spiritual life. If I commit today to working out self-discipline, then imagine where I'm going to be five years from now. Like, I mean, five years is a long time, but when you really think about it, it's also not that long of a time. Like, I thought that this semester was going to be a long time, and it wasn't. It flew by, and that was it, and now it's done, you know? So five years, genuinely, is not that much time, really, in the grand scheme of things. So, yeah. I just, we stay hungry, we devour, put in the work, put in the hours. What the Rock said, and take what's ours. Period. That's what we need to do. Put in the work, put in the hours. And take what's ours. <laughs> okay, anywho. I hope you all have a great day. And until next time, peace, adios, have a great day.